Hi, you're listening to the EU China podcast powered by the EU China Hub, straight from Brussels, a show on which we interview important actors in the EU China relations and cover the top EU China news. Our mission is to help you to get a more nuanced picture of what is going on in the EU China relations. My name is Greg Stetz and I'm happy to have you with us. If you like our show, don't forget to subscribe and to tell your friends about us. Let's get started. Hello everyone, welcome back to our interview series. Last week we took a look at the big picture of EU-China relations and this week we're going to go local. So what are the EU-China relations on the subnational level? Our guest is the head of the Asia-Pacific program and a China analyst at the Polish Institute of International Affairs. She recently co-authored and published a report on the EU-China para-diplomacy, following a three-year-long study on the very topic. More widely, her research interests involve China-Central and Eastern Europe relations and Sino-Polish relations, so check out her work especially if you're a fan of 17 plus 1 debates. It is my pleasure to talk to Justyna Szczutlik. I also recommend everyone to check out the report The Subnational Dimensions of EU-China Relations, released by the Polish Institute of International Affairs in cooperation with experts from Lodz University in Poland. The report is available for free, and you can find a link to it on our website. Now, let's get to it. Hello, Justyna. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, Greg, for inviting me. Before we dive into the findings of your report, the subnational dimensions of EU-China relations, let's maybe very briefly discuss the general topic that we'll be tackling today, so EU-China paradiplomacy. And it might be that for some of our listeners, this is a new term. Can you maybe very briefly explain to us what is paradiplomacy exactly? To be very concise, paradiplomacy uh, could be defined as a international relations between subnational entities, like local governments, of one country and another country. And the goal of those cooperation between, let's say, local governments of two different countries is to achieve some economic, cultural or political benefits. To put it in another way, cooperation, international cooperation between local governments, not only governments, but also some uh, local entities, like business, culture, cultural entities, educational entities. So how does paradiplomacy or this local level of international cooperation fit into a wider scheme of things like uh, EU-China relations in general? Well, first of all, we should bear in mind that local governments could not conduct foreign policy because foreign policy is reserved for the central government. Uh, so all these international activities should be consistent with the central government policy and foreign policy goals. But nowadays, you can see that local authorities, local entities are pretty active in international cooperation. This part of diplomacy is a kind of a public diplomacy, not hot politics or high politics, but the low politics, that they are doing some international cooperation, but they could not be perceived as a, as a foreign policy per se. But why it is important? Because... To be honest, when you look at the implementation of the policy that was set up by the central government, in fact, implementations is at the local level. The local governments are negotiating 
with, let's say, Chinese partners' investments, or there's a trade between some kind of Chinese or, let's say, European companies in particular region. There's people-to-people exchange, cooperation between universities or cultural entities. So, to be honest, I think it's a very important dimension because everything is, is at the local level, but the central government only create something like a framework of cooperation. But the real content uh, is in, at the local level. And that's why I'm really happy that we get to cover this topic this week, because in our previous episode, we took a look at the big picture, the geopolitical perspective of EU-China relations. And today, going local, we can take a look at how it translates into concrete content. And that topic seems to be under research. So the study that you conducted took three years to complete and you covered over 75 regions from five EU countries and the United Kingdom with surveys and in-depth interviews. So we have a lot to unpack today. But maybe first, let me ask you, why did you decide to run this specific project? The initiator of the project was Professor Tomasz Kaminski from University of Łódź. He came to us to our institute, to the Polish Institute of International Affairs, with a proposal to conduct research together with him. And he was also a leader of the project. And now why we decided, why Tomasz and, and then me and my colleague Adriana Skorupska, why we decided to run this project? Because we think, as I mentioned before, that we should look at what is going on at the subnational level. But we think, after our research, before the project, that there is no, so far, I know some complex, comprehensive study, research, analyzes about a subnational dimension of relations between China and uh, European regions. But of course, for EU, China is important, for EU member states, for EU as, a, as, as Brussels, let's put it in this way. And we wanted to know if EU is aware of uh, what is going on at the local level between Chinese and European regions, if there is any impact on the EU level, EU-China level, because of, of subnational cooperation. Is there any contacts between Brussels and European regions to exchange views or information about relations between China and the EU? So this was the reason why we decided to conduct this kind of project. So let's jump right into the report. Can you maybe first give us a general overview of the state of EU-China subnational level cooperation, basing on your findings? So during the, our research, we identified 146 partnerships with Chinese uh, regions, which means that 80% of uh, local governments that responded to our request uh, cooperate with Chinese, with Chinese regions, which means that it is important direction of, uh, let's say, subnational activities of uh, European regions. 77% declared that those partnerships are active, which means that during the last two years there were some joint activities, contacts, some exchange of a delegation, something like that. When you look at the process of establishing the partnership between Chinese and uh, European regions, the first partnerships were established in the 80s, mostly by German, French and British regions. And with the eastern part of uh, or coastal regions, because probably at the time in the 80s, China under the Xiaoping was opened to some extent with the special economic zones in the coastal and um, well, eastern part of China. So the first partnerships in the 80s. Then in the 90s, 
not many new partnerships, probably because of what happened in, in Beijing or Tiananmen Square, generally speaking, in 1989. And some kind of a uh, decision not to cooperate because of, of this uh, aftermath of the events. Then, beginning of the 21st century, some new partnerships, still uh, mostly by the, let's say, western part of the EU, mostly Germany, f- France and, and British uh, uh, regions, and once again with the caster part of China. Then 2008-2009, because of the crisis, not many partnerships and new opening, let's say, 2010-12. And we can see that also countries like Poland, Italy and Spain, which were not pretty active in the previous years, they started cooperation with Chinese partners. Then a very important moment since 2014, we had identified 47 new partnerships and probably because of launching Belt and Road Initiative. But when you look at the Chinese map and which Chinese provinces have partnerships with all six member states that we surveyed, there are three important uh, or four uh, regions, Shandong, uh, Shanghai, Jiangsu and Guangdong, uh, so eastern part of China cluster regions. Uh, then we have Hunan and Hubei, which is uh, eastern provinces but without access to the sea. And from the central part of China, um, two provinces, Sichuan and Chongqing. So this is the landscape of the cooperation between European regions and Chinese regions. And what are the motivations for the local governments in Europe to seek cooperation with China in the first place? We can say that the most important driver is economic dimension. To expand export, as all of uh, EU member states have trade deficit, expand also uh, investment and attract Chinese investment. This is the first driver. The second one is kind of a cultural cooperation or educational cooperation. But it is also some kind of political reasons or rationales. And Scotland is a very good example that Scotland is trying to have very close relations with China just to be more independent or to be more visible because of uh, the specific uh, structure within the United Kingdom. So different reasons in different, in different regions, but the most two important drivers, economic dimension and, let's say, cultural dimension. And regions from which European countries have the most active cooperation with China? Uh, can we see any patterns? Frankly speaking, it's difficult to answer your question because it's difficult to measure it. What we can say after our research is which countries launched cooperation many, many years ago with Chinese regions. So in the 80s, German regions, French and British launched cooperation with China, mostly with eastern or coastal regions. But if you ask me which uh, regions are, are very active, it's difficult to say because it depends on particular regions, the people who are conducting relations with, with China. What is really interesting is the, the so-called effective cooperation triangle that we noticed, which means that in all cases, or in most of all cases, three entities cooperate with each other to launch cooperation with China and to go to China to initiate cooperation with China. These three entities are local governments, local authorities, local business and um, local educational institutions, universities mostly. 
And it is the most effective way if these three institutions can cooperate with each other and then launch cooperation with China. So naturally, it is now my obligation to ask this question. Uh, can you give us a couple of success stories of European regions cooperating with China? Well, of course, it depends how you define the success story. But um, I think that Polish case, I mean, which voivodeship or which region could be perceived as a success story because which and, and, and this region is visible now in China because of a very active cooperation from the, uh, from the Polish side because of this triangle, to be honest, cooperation uh, with the local government, business, but also universities or university, University of Łódź. I do hope that our listeners know that uh, there is a train connection, cargo connection between Łódź and Chengdu. And also there is a very active cooperation between universities and um, students exchange with a summer school organized by Professor Mezejewski in Łódź. So this is a success story, I think. Can you maybe tell us a little bit more about the specific benefits and specific challenges of working with China at a subnational level? Talking about benefits, as I mentioned also about which is the visibility or a recognition of the, of the city or of the region, uh, but also other kinds of benefits are, let's say, some economic benefits. I was told in Liverpool that, for example, they know in the city uh, how much money particular Chinese student spent a year. So it is a um, concrete amount of money that they would like to earn from, from Chinese students or, or visitors, tourists. Benefits also is ex- exchange of experience. Uh, in the process of doing something within the within the city, for example, in Liverpool, I was told that for them it's important to exchange uh, exchange experience and views how to run the the port facilities or something like that. So this is kind of some specific benefits, and they are different in different regions. About the challenges, um, to be honest, we, we we see that when we ask in a question about challenges or some problems with the cooperation, almost. 100% told us that the biggest problem is distance, costs, and the problem with uh, understanding China, because sometimes because of lack of human resources, this one person is responsible for many other for other countries cooperating with other countries. So this is the problem. And of course, the problem is some um, different understanding of the needs. Let's say that Chinese delegation is coming to the to the city, to the regions, and there are some kind of MOU. And European regions region believes that what is written will be implemented, but they are waiting then for the next step and something like that. And of asymmetries of the scale and asymmetries of the of the expectations, and sometimes difficult to find a synergy between what 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 example Chinese side wants and what European regions is uh, is expecting from cooperation with Chinese regions. Okay, so we talked about the European side, but I also want to ask you about the Chinese one. So when Chinese provinces and cities are looking for this kind of local level cooperation partners, do they target specific sectors or uh, geographical regions or how does it work? Chinese central government mostly designate the specialities of the particular regions. And in terms of areas of cooperation, let's say logistics, trade, high-tech cooperation or something like that, so on the one hand and on the other, geographical directions. Which voivodeship and which city 
Sichuan province and Chengdu city is a good example. Sichuan province should cooperate with Central and Eastern European countries, and this province cooperates with the Polish region. I was also told, for example, in, in Liverpool, that uh, Liverpool is aware of that different provinces have different specializations. So if you need something and you would like to cooperate on specific areas with Chinese region, you should know where to go. I was told that sometimes some provinces, regions from the European Union are trying to go to China and they go to the, the, the wrong province. So this is the kind of a, of a situation that you should be aware of. So we can say that the blueprint as to who the Chinese provinces uh, are going to work with is still driven by the central government, correct? Yes, because Chinese uh, state is a unitary state. So to be honest, provinces or local governments is a kind of a division of labor or transmission belt for achieving the goals that was set up by the central government. Uh, what is more, now we can observe the process of centralization under Xi Jinping especially. So it is one part of the story. But there's another one that, okay, there is a centralization that the central government decides about what local government should do, what kind of goals should achieve. But also sometimes because uh, particular provinces of region are pretty strong, especially economically, because they are very well integrated to the global economy, because they were open in the 80s uh, during Deng Xiaoping, and now there was a process for second stage of the globalization and the creation of the value chains and transnational companies, which are more, now more important than the, the state. So sometimes the, the particular provinces are so strong, and so sometimes they could, to some extent, negotiate with the government but the general trend is centralization to unitary state. So as you say, the relationship between central government and local governments in China on this issue, on paradiplomacy, is very complex. Also, I guess, on the, on the European side. So can you maybe tell us a little bit more about how those local level relations are used or maybe sometimes also impact the central level relations? In our report... There is a kind of assumption that local level, the subnational level, could be a channel used when the relations at the central level are getting worse. Let's say that at the central level it's like cold politics, but at the local level it's hot economics or hot cultural exchange, hot uh, scientific cooperation, people to people exchange. It is our assumption. But I'm not sure if it's true uh, because. When you look at what is going on in Czech Republic, for example, on in Sweden. So the another result, I think, uh, on our report indicates that the other assumption is true, that the relations at the central level impact the relations on the local level. So if everything is okay at the central level, let's say Poland and China decided to upgrade relations with strategic partnership or comprehensive strategic partnership, everything is okay at the local level. That there is a signal from the top to the down that China is uh, worth cooperating with. So local governments, Polish local government decided to, to, to launch cooperation with Chinese regions. But when situation is getting worse, like in Czech Republic or in Sweden, we can see that local governments are pretty active in, let's say, limiting cooperation with Chinese partners or even 
cutting some ties with the with the Chinese partners, what we see in the Czech Republic. I know that in case of Czech, we are talking about city to city, not region to region, but it's also to some extent local kind of cooperation at the local level. So I'm not sure which assumption is true, but there was an example of the United States that Trump administration is not very happy with the climate change policy, Uh, United States not the part of the Paris Agreement, but the local governments are pretty okay with that. And we can communicate, cooperate on the local level with the, with the U.S., let's say, uh, local governments dealing with the climate uh, issues. So it is the assumption that the local level could be a channel to maintain contacts, despite the fact that the relations in the central are not very good. We also wrote in a, in a report that the same situation is in in case of relations with China and the EU. But there is some question mark right now when we look at what is going on in other countries. I actually plan to ask you about uh, the, the case that you've just mentioned, so the city of Prague and the recent row between Prague and Beijing. So is it a situation, is it a case uh, that shows how subnational actors can have an impact on national relations? Or was the situation in Prague the effect of the central-level ties central level relations getting weaker. The case is that the new mayor of, of Prague, which is from the another party than the previous mayor who signed a cooperation agreement with Beijing, decided to get rid of the statement from the agreement about uh, one China policy. Uh, of course, Beijing was not very happy. And at the end of the day, Prague decided to sever ties with the uh, Uh, with Beijing. Then upgrade relations with Taipei, capital of Taiwan. Then Shanghai uh, decided to cut ties with, with Prague. And you ask me if, um, if the process is from uh, down to top? I do not think so, because it's a kind of an aftermath of what is going on at central level. Now we are under the current Czech government, The relations are getting worse because the government is pretty cautious about China. And I think it was it is the good example that that how the central level uh, impacts the local level. To some extent a signal from the from the top to the to the let's say down or the, the, the local level that something is going wrong. So it is one interpretation. The second one is that human factor is very important. But this guy, this mayor of Prague, is really outspoken. He uh, underscored cooperation with Taiwan and so on. And he also would like to be perceived as a, as a follower of Václav Havel. During Havel, Czechoslovakia agenda was on human rights, Tibet issues, Taiwan issues. So it is also important. Human factor, but also I think that the impact from the top. So it's not like that Prague was the initiator of, um, let's say, weakening relations with China. It was a government, to be honest, and now the president is following the government's, I think, agenda. But also we can see the connection between central government relations and the human factor. It's a very interesting case. Uh, also with all the implications for 17 plus one summit uh, and so on. But as we're slowly uh, going towards the end of our conversation, let's, let's not dive into that, but... I wanted to ask you about the recommendations. What lessons do you think are there to be learned 
from the EU-China subnational level that might be important for other levels of EU-China relations as well? Well, I think that the one important lesson is that we should use the human resources that we have at the local level, experts on China and the knowledge and the, the exchange of experience uh, should be used by the uh, central government, but also in Brussels. And to be honest, um, it is said sometimes that local governments, European local governments, are not very aware what is going on in China, that um, the local governments or the, the people in the regions, not only governments, but also the, 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 the business circles or academic circles uh, are not experts in China and they do not know what to do. And to be honest, I do not fully agree with the statement. I have an example in Poland, in Łódź, also in other countries. Of course, there are many, many other places where, for example, because of lack of human resources, that cooperation is not very good because uh, because people from the, the region um, uh, do, not, do, do not have enough knowledge about China. But what we should do uh, is to, to, to use the human resources, but also the experience uh, of the local governments cooperating with China even if this cooperation is not very, very successful. So uh, I think that it's, it's very useful to look uh, beyond the central level. Justina, thank you very much for a really insightful conversation. Thank you very much for having me here. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the EU-China podcast. If you want to know more or to get in touch with us, visit our website, which is euchinahubwrittenjointly.com. And if you find this show insightful, be sure to leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. It will help others to get to know about us. See you next time.